KBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 37, The Business Card. This week, we heard Vintage Bob bringing the passion and fire. Bob broke down the biggest piece of evidence against Robert and Christian, The Business Card. From the chain of custody questions to the DNA and fingerprints, we heard it all. I'm all by myself this week, but Bob and Janet are together in California and joining me via Zoom. So the three of us are going to get into your listener questions right after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com. All right, before we get started, I also want to point out I'm usually not in the room when Zach does the intro, and I was in the room when he's like, do you know that he does those in one take? Yeah. He nailed he's it. He's a one-take wonder. I try. Like the best intro I've ever heard in my whole yeah. life. I yeah. try. He prepares in advance, has something he's going to say, says it flawlessly, and we move on. I didn't know that was a thing in podcasting. Yeah, it you know, is. It is. Good job, Zach. <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> of course, he didn't have us there to distract him. And, and That's usually when I screw up is when there. you guys get me giggling, and then I'm, and it's over. Right. <laughs> well, we will not be having any fun today, my friend. That's so right. Worry yeah. not. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Janet and I have finally met in person for the first time. We have spent the last forty-eight hours together. We're actually staying together in an Airbnb along with with, with Janet's partner. Everybody's here. Oh, cool! Um, Thanks, guys. So now we've yeah. Don't say everybody's here. There's really every, no... everybody of importance is here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the point being. That now that we've spent 48 hours together, we realize how much we don't care for one another and uh, the fun is going to be over with now. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. So Janet and I are, are here together in out in the desert and we have uh, done quite a bit of stuff. We went up to the crime scene. We've we've actually tracked down and found a, a witness. We've done the meetup. We're going to L.A. today for another another event. It's been it's been awesome to actually Meet Janet in person. Doctor Shiloh was here on on one night or two, well, two days. She was here Sunday mm-hmm. and and Monday and did some work with us, which uh, we're going to talk about uh, here in a minute. A couple of little housekeeping things. One, uh, the shirts. No one's asked yet, which I appreciate, but I wanted to, to uh, ahead of time let you guys know that I screwed up on the shirts. You're going to get your shirts and they're going to be perfect. But where I screwed up was is when I initially told you guys to order. I was like, we're going to do it by the end of November so everybody can get their shirts by Christmas. And then I said, I'm going to leave the orders open for another week to, so because we added all the designs there and then I sent them in and I asked the t-shirt printer when they're going to be printed. And she said, they're slated to be printed 
January 9th. And I was like, hey, you said they'd be ready by Christmas. And she said, yeah, but you waited another week and a bunch of orders came in between there and it's holidays. So not her fault, my fault, because uh, I didn't run that buyer when I pushed the when I pushed the date back. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. just so you know, your shirts will be coming. They're, they're coming. The orders are in. They're ready to get printed and go. Uh, but it'll be like, um, I think she said, I believe she said January 9th, they're slated to be printed and shipped. So okay. so if you were going to give one as a gift to someone, you have to do the thing I've sometimes had to do when I bought something late where you print out a photo of the thing, yeah. snip it out so it's a t-shirt shape, slip it into a card, yeah. give it to someone and say, I'm so sorry. You, yeah, And do you see how much more fun that is than giving them the oh, actual yeah, very shirt? Fun. Yeah, very fun. Then they get a whole nother experience get an project. later, right? Yeah. yeah, that they get to Absolutely. open up later. Um, so yeah, there was the shirt thing. Um, I do want to mention, and I probably should do it at the end. Can you remind me at the end when we talk about what's coming Sunday to, I'll figure it out. Though. Fingers crossed. Fingers I crossed. sure will, Bob. Uh, somebody in the YouTube somebody chat. In somebody in chat will definitely. If we're about to close and I didn't tell you about the new information I got after I recorded the episode that's coming out on Sunday in the YouTube chat, let me know. Got it. Um, so we don't just muddy the waters with that now. Um, and I just said four things that I needed to talk about before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Did you cover all of them? I think you did. You definitely said, remind me about the new information. You definitely said, remind me about the t-shirts. Okay. That might be it. That might have been it. That okay. might be four. Those two things might be four. Those two things might be the four things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the other stuff was just talking about a trip, which was, which we can do now before we get into your questions. Um, um, first of all, Zach, how is your, how's your week been? Lo- lonely. Lonely by myself. <laughs> but, you know, getting through it. It'll be all right. Oh, I missed you guys. Good. I'll say um, that. Well, we we've had okay. a a wonderful time out here. So I, I'll just kind of walk through my week starting when I got here and the, some of the stuff that we've done. Um, so Sunday night, I or Sunday afternoon, I got in and Doctor Shiloh came down from L.A. and then we went and had dinner with. Um, I'm pretty sure it's okay. Yeah, it'd be okay to say his name because he's but he's on the page and I'm sure he's talking about it. Uh, Andrew Nielsen, who a lot of you guys know, is on. Our our Facebook groups. He's a he's a retired River, Riverside sheriff, um, and we've had a lot of great. He makes lots of great posts, lots of great discussion. He met with uh, Doctor Shiloh and I. We all had dinner together, and then at nine o'clock at night on Sunday, we went up the hill because we wanted to do a drive test with all of us together. For those of you that don't know, um, Andrew did a drive test on his own back this summer, and I believe it was on a Sunday night. And he was able to make the drive in 35 minutes, which which is absolutely. And it was, I mean, 100% he did it. He filmed the whole thing, and he made it happen. He was he was going real fast down the um uh, down the road. In fact, where he was kind of bumping up against people, and they had to yeah get out of his way on the way down. Um, but we wanted to do. I, I kind of wanted to create a scenario similar to the state's theory, which the state's theory was that Christian was driving. Um, also, I, th- I think he said he had a truck and, um, and um, Shiloh had her car. Um, but the theory was that Christian was driving who had never been to Pinion Pines before. Uh, Shiloh had never been to Pinion Pines before, so she drove. And then in that theory, Robert would have had to been the one navigating who has been to the up to the Friedley's house a handful of times, but hadn't been there for a while. I've been up there a handful of times, haven't been up there since June. So I sat in the front uh, front seat and navigated, and then and then Andrew was in the back too, kind of, you know, because we all were kind of which way do we think we should go and stuff like that. Right. Um. So we did we did make the make the drive. Um. And Shiloh was moving faster than I was comfortable with. Um. And then Andrew was like, <laughs> 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 and, and, and but it, but it, it was a good mix because 
you had me going like, whoa, around the switch packs. And, and in the back, Andrew's going, just so you know, I was much further ahead than you went this time. Like, I was driving <laughs> faster. Um, uh, so it was kind of a, of a nice kind of happy medium in there. But uh, uh, Shiloh made the drive. The, the, the end of the story is it took her 44 minutes to make the drive, which, of course, is too long. Um, but there was also there, we had to go like a little bit past where they would have went cause the on off ramp moved and we timed that and well graded that, that added a minute. So we took that back off. So it would have been 43 minutes, which of course, I mean, if that's how long it took, then that makes it impossible for them to bend the crime scene. But what we have is this is some, is this data of Andrew showed that it can be done in 35 or 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. I did it once. Of course, I went a very different route. Mine took 52 minutes, uh, and then um, Shiloh did it, and it took her 44 minutes. So, you know, there's there's certainly nothing definitive there. I feel very confident about her number because we actually got lucky and didn't run into a single vehicle on the way down. So we never had somebody in front of us that we had to, like, wait for them to get out of our way. And we got real lucky with the lights going through when we were heading out towards the highway. Mm-hmm. I was watching her speed. She was never below the speed limit. Um, she was even she was even going above the uh, the yellow ones, the yellow ones on the curve that say "Don't go over 35. Oh. Mm. Yeah, she was. And I and I kept I kept mentioning to her because you know they're both retired. Uh, well, he's a retired cop. She works for the police department. Yeah. Uh, and I and I for years taught evoc training, which is emergency vehicle operation uh-huh. training. Um, uh, and so I just kept reminding her that, you know, you're never supposed to go over the yellow signs. Those are the important ones. Ugh. Um, but she did anyway. So <laughs> that, that's, yeah. <laughs> so not for nothing. It took her, you know, with what we calculated out 43 minutes, she was moving very fast. Um, uh, and, and certainly acknowledged that you could drive faster because Andrew did, we saw mm-hmm. him do it. Um, you know, so like when we were going down kind of the home stretch down 74, when we were coming into town, the speed limit, I think is 55 and she was doing like 62 and I don't know how fast he was going, but I would have to suspect that he was probably 75, 80 mile an hour coming through there. So you just have to figure out for yourself where somebody would be risking getting pulled over at that point or, um, you know, who knows? Right. So all those factors go in, but Janet's or uh, not Janet Shiloh's test took 43 minutes doing that. But you also, she brought up a really interesting point, which was at a certain point, sort of getting out of the dirt roads, getting out of the Pinion Pines community, heading down deeper into the valley, starting to maybe see a car or two more. Didn't she say, like, at some point, I I sort of feel like I don't need to speed anymore. Right. It feels like I've gotten away. Her exact words were, it feels like, and and. It was interesting. It was kind of a light bulb moment for me. So we went up to the crime again. It's pitch black. We I wanted them to get out of the car and experience how dark and 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 there was a big moon that night, but it was still very very dark up there. But you can't. You, there's no way I could describe to someone in words the feeling of the vast stillness and eerie silence and darkness up there until you get out and experience. And and literally the only thing you hear are coyotes howling all over the place. Yeah. And that's all you hear. So uh, we parked and I, I said, you know, so shut, shut the lights up. I wanted to walk around a little bit, um, but they, <laughs> we got out of the car, took a few steps. Jackrabbit ran across the driveway and uh, they were both like pretty much done with that experience. We got back in the car. <laughs> we did not go walking around uh, back in the desert. 
But so then we were like, okay, we start the timer right. We started right at nine o'clock, um, which I know was an hour early, but we just weren't going to sit there for an hour. Um, so right at nine o'clock, we hit it, and Shiloh starts starts going down the the roads, pretty rough. And we get to a certain point at the south end of the neighborhood, and she just offhandedly said, "I feel like I've gotten away already." Mm. And and when and you when you you realize at that point, anybody who's local, if you go driving around up there, you'll kind of see what what she meant but you very much once you get you know the, the neighborhood's kind of like if you took two squares and they're kind of stacked off centered from each other once you kind of get to that bottom section of the neighborhood you very much feel like you're in a, a different world like 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 you have you have gotten completely away you're in now in a different place yeah um and then so we started having the conversation of so would you continue like driving like a bat out of hell now and we thought well maybe like until you get to like 74 but for sure, once you get to the highway, once you get to the paved highway, you feel very, very removed from the crime scene. And so, and so then the question you start asking yourself, because we're looking at like, can you do it if you're driving 75 miles an hour down the down this mountain road? Yeah, you can. Andrew proved that you can. But the question is, why? And, and of course, this is very subjective because you can't say I would never. Right. Because, you know, and you could say. Well, now at this point, you just want to blend in and not get pulled over. We don't know the state of mind of whoever it was that was doing this. If there was anybody, I personally, I don't think anybody was driving anything, but we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's like, why? And then at what point do you decide I've gotten away? If, if it's not when you're to the south end of the neighborhood, if it's not when you're out of the neighborhood on the street past the fire station where they're already rolling, you know, they're already up to the scene. Right. At some point, you have to re- you have to say, okay, I'm comfortable now. I've gotten away. Right. And yeah, when but isn't is there the thought? Point? Isn't there the thought of trying to get cleaned up? Like I understand what you're saying, but I think a lot of people have the other idea of that would be more like it's not just that I got away; it's that I need to hurry up and get cleaned up before anybody knows anything. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think Andrew pointed out, I was like, well, you could you're trying to hurry up and get down there and create an alibi. But the, the reason I push back against that, and certainly that could be the case, clean up, create an alibi, is that they didn't. They didn't like, right. oh, I couldn't have done it because I was here, here, and here. Right. If you listen to like Robert's interview the day after, there's no indication in that interview that he knows what time this happened. Okay. And that he's like, oh no. Like like he he like he's walk he asked him to walk through his day and he tells him, Yeah, we were doing this and we were out doing the paintball thing, and my cousin texted me and wanted me to get chapstick. We went to AMPM, get chapstick, and went home. He doesn't give him times and, and and so if it's like getting down to create an alibi you would expect to hear no at 9 30 i know that i was here and at, at 10 o'clock i was here and the, you know point me and and you could say well that's because you know he's smart enough to know not to do that or uh you or you could say you know it just seems like they didn't know they needed to make an alibi but my point to that is that if the point was to get down the hill quickly so they could create an alibi i don't believe that because they didn't create an alibi right mm-hmm. I think my I guess part of the takeaway that I have and that I I guess I'll just say here is that if somebody is going to point to these conversations and say, like, it's you're being so subjective about it, you know, you're not proving anything like I I don't think you're saying that this particular argument that the state made, which is like flimsy and also doesn't to me really prove anything, was a huge point and factor in how they felt they were proving something. And I would never take what 
you've experimented with and try to use it in court. Oh, of course not. Nor do I feel they should have based on what they had to try to cobble together to make it work. Like to me, the cell phone stuff, it's not so much about like, oh my God, we prove they were lying and we prove the state was wrong. It's more like this isn't just, it's just not reliable. Like to me, it's not a reliable point of contention to the degree where you should be able to use it to convict two young men. I just, yeah, I, that's what I keep seeing over and over and over again is like, it's just not, it is subjective and like proving that it's possible. It's like the Adnan drive thing. It's like Adnan relied so heavily on Sarah Koenig not being able to make that trip in the time she said, right. and they were able to do it. And guess what? None of it mattered Except because they none of that. Well, <laughs> I understand that. But if they are able to say they could, and you put it out into the world, just like the state puts it out into the courtroom. Yeah. Then everyone goes, well, I guess it is possible. That must mean they killed her. Like there's all of the other pieces floating around that that are like, please don't think we're saying we've now proved they're innocent because of that. No, that's not what anybody's saying. It's just right. about the experiments of how how much sense does this make? Well, I think that's and maybe it makes all the sense in the world. It doesn't change a lot of the other facts in the case. Yeah. And and I think that like what it does is say like the state presented to the jury, they absolutely could have left there and been here, and that's what we're we're we're, we're telling you they were here at this time, and then they were here at this time, and they presented it as proof that because of their test, right. and all we're saying is we have found out that 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 it, it there's a lot of it's troublesome, right? Right? Is that that to say that? Absolutely, because Ryan Bodmer could make that drive test in that time. I'm just saying that doesn't prove they could have done that. Yeah. It just proves he could have done it. And by me saying, well, it took me 52 minutes doesn't mean I've proven that they couldn't have done that. Right. It just proved that I couldn't. You, you know what I mean? So it's just yeah. it's just showing that there's a lot of ambiguity here. And it's not nearly as black and white as the state would want the jury to believe. Right. And it's and it, it sort of reminds you. And I say culpability on both sides, defense and prosecution in cases like this where We've seen situations where a crime scene tech or, you know, a, a, an expert, a supposed blood spatter expert, we find out does something 35 times. That's I'm not quoting the staircase directly. I don't remember how many times that guy did it. But, uh, you know, like you do the experiment till you get it right. right. And that happens on both sides. It happens on defense. It happens yeah. on prosecution. The problem is are, how forthcoming are you going to be? Like, I don't know how many tri- drive tests they did to get that number. I don't know how many times you hit a thing, you hit a watermelon with a baseball bat to get the result you're looking for. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not there for those. So a lot of it becomes like what's being what's being communicated to all parties for, yeah. you know, Brady and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and so for me, for what I'm trying to do is get an idea of, of what I think could have happened or didn't happen. And my position on it after, I think that the, the Dr. Shiloh's drive test was for me the most reasonable expectation of what someone could do. Um, in that that situation, and so for me, it seems like I think that forty three minutes is about as reasonable of a time as you can expect. But also, I'll I'll point out I'll point out too that I've never believed thirty eight minutes is the number that we're go. dealing with for for two reasons. One, as I just I don't want to harp on it anymore, but over and over again, if you look at the forensic anthropologist's actual study, actual investigation, actual report. It shows up the the range is up to 10 to 20 minutes. The prosecutor got her to say, well, the range could be, I guess, more up to 30. So we're using 30. 
but really the number's 20. So that's thing one. Thing two is most people even, well, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but a lot of people, even people that believe they're guilty, agree that the killers weren't on, weren't drive. They didn't drive their car into the driveway and leave. It means they, so they had to, at the very least, leave on foot and make their way to the uh, to the car before they leave. Which then, uh, then of course, adds more time to to the whole situation. So, like to me, like we're looking at like like a if you actually take those data points and put them together. You're looking at like they would have had to have they would have had to make that drive in like 15 to 20 minutes, not 38 minutes. You know what other information would be helpful is um, I'd love to see some text logs. Uh, I believe that might make a difference. I feel we've talked about that before, like points of origin for texts or timing for having service. Uh, if you're getting away, like doesn't that add a monkey wrench in as well? Like what if we knew? I, I don't know if I'm following you. I'm saying what if texts were sent at a time when. It wouldn't have been possible to send or receive a text if you were still up the hill. Oh, like the one before that, the phone the, the, call, the chapstick before phone one. Call and before, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to know that? It would be huge to because know that, yeah. if Nicole, to your point, I think it's a great point. If chapstick's the alibi, I'd love to see whether they check that, and I'd love to see if that text happened. Unfortunately, we don't have the information. I yeah, think it's such a great point, Nicole. Unfortunately, it would just be great to see that that alibi was checked or. Yeah, that the, the text happened, and that's upsetting because it could have been very easy to see if the if the state when they pulled the records pulled the text records. If you see that, say, uh, Marty texts Robert at nine fifty five, and he received it off of Tower eighty eight, then that puts this whole argument to bed. But we don't have that information. So even though they have text records for a lot of other people, there must have been some reason that they couldn't get those text records. I'm sure they would have used them and made them available if they could. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Okay. Um, uh, moving on. So I guess yeah. we talk about the next day. We went up, yeah. um, went up to the crime scene. It was snowing. It was <laughs> nice, yeah. which made things a little tricky for us to because we had we actually brought a wheelbarrow up there and we're going to do some experience. But it had rained the night before and then it was cold and snowing, so the ground was well, it was like and mo- moist and cold and packed down, so it was tough to really do a whole lot there. But the the big thing that I think that it was that we accomplished was we found the point of origin. We're ninety nine percent certain we found the point of origin, right. and we did that by like wandering back in the desert. And I'm for these for these lowlanders down here. I'm very impressed with with Janet and everybody else that was out there because it was freaking cold. And I am from Michigan, yeah, so like I'm just out degrees. there in my flannel, like with let's wind. Do, yeah, let's do <laughs> this. Um, but they're all there. But we, you know, we went to where kind of where we thought it was, and then we were searching all over for any indicator, and then. We took the video that's now on our YouTube that I kept referencing on our YouTube channel where they started at the point of origin and then videoed the path. And, you know, at the beginning of the video, he like pans around and you see like this tree that's up there. And then there's a bush with a tree that comes out of the bush. And actually, Brandon uh, uh, pointed out that that, um, from someone he did a story with or whatever was Mm -hmm. talking about in the desert, how slowly many plants grow and how much stays unchanged through time. Yeah. Things don't change in the desert. So like back home, like a dead tree like that in two years would be gone because of all the moisture and bacteria and everything. Yeah. Um, but now he's, he's he had said that like, no, those trees should still be there. Yeah. And so we spent hours just going all over the place comparing. Frame by frame. Like, mm-hmm. okay, if I can see this here, I've got to be able to see this here, this here, this here, this here in the frame. Yeah, line Matching it up with everything up. Yeah, with the mountain range behind you. And then that was tricky because the, the fog would come in and you couldn't see the mountain range and then the fog would come on and you could see it again. But... 
we found this this bush that has this you'll see it if you watch the video there's like a bush with like dead tree branches coming up out of it and we found it and like to the point like we were lining it up with the camera looking and every branch is exactly it's the tree and then there was a big tree next to it which wasn't there but we could see a stump and where somebody had cut the tree up for firewood so so we we were were very confident we found the point of origin then i turned on a gps tracker marked the location and then tracked it back using the video to track it back and it sure wasn't 180 yards or 165 yards it was 352 yards wow from the point of origin to the wheelbarrow. That's what and, everyone kept saying. When we finally found the place, Shiloh was like, I feel like we're really far way, back here. And we were like, yeah, maybe there. that's just a illusion because it's cold yeah. or something. And but, you can see it on the video, like in the, on that video when he's walking. That video goes on forever. Yeah, it's four minutes. And you see, like, you like, just count his steps. I haven't done it, but you could like count his steps, like boom, 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 boom. Like how long it takes for them to get all the way. And the 352 yards is as the crow flies. Like I marked a track and then I got there and shot a line on my GPS software, 352 yards from point to point. So the walk would have been 400 yards or more winding around. So it was, and it was way back there, which got us thinking like, okay, so if the state's theory is they killed her out there, first of all, it's so pitch black. I can't, fathom walking that far out into that mess right. and it's a maze because everything kind of looks the same but then they and went there's no clear paths yeah there are no paths anywhere so then you go all the way up to the house and then get the wheelbarrow and like the point i made was you would never find the body again yeah to go back especially in the dark all the way back there and find the body to put the body in the wheelbarrow like just seems insane to me and then yeah, and then, and then like Shiloh said, well, maybe somebody, you know, maybe it was like, well, you stay here and mark right. the spot. I'm going to, but that also yeah. requires them to know that there's a wheelbarrow back at the house. Plus the fact that they had to miracle it out there without making a track on the way right. out to get there. There's all kinds of obviously problems with it, but. It's just very confusing. And maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just not, I'm not, I mean, I'm never pretended to be a, a detective, but just experientially for me, it was very confusing to imagine that being the simplest explanation. That's what yeah. that's what I sort of walked away with. It's it's a really complicated case and it's really confusing. But that to me was whether or not it was Robert and Christian, I just don't see the scenario where that happens out there and they manage to do all that or that anyone managed to do that. Yeah. No, it's like, it, it, I just the idea, especially when you see where the point of origin actually was. In my opinion, the idea that anyone, Robert and Christian or a mafia hitman or right. whatever it is you think happened. Right. The idea of Becky being killed out there yeah. is nonsense. It's, yeah, I, it's, I, I feel it. like, I can't see it. yeah, it's just my opinion, but that is nonsense that they would have brought them all the way, you know, brought her all the way back yeah. from that, from that position. There's just, there's just no way. And also, we also pointed out when you ran out that way, that if you were running to it, well, well, I guess I, if their theory is the hike, that doesn't matter. But it was like, why would you just run straight back? Cause it's not, it's not as far off to the side as I thought it's straight back. Yeah. is where it came from and and it was like well if you were running away why wouldn't there's sharon coleman's house is right there once you're out you why wouldn't you go out that way right um so uh with it so that yeah that we we accomplished that mm-hmm. um out there and then we took the wheelbarrow out in the desert and we actually had janet like get into the wheelbarrow and me push it just because i wanted to see what that was you know the balance and stuff and and truthfully, I didn't I didn't get the results I was expecting there. I was expecting to be like, her legs are in my way and I can't move and it's very wobbly. Um, 
but I was able to push her just fine in the wheelbarrow. Like, so that didn't, that didn't shake out. It was a little tricky getting over the terrain, the constant like bumps and stuff like that was, was tough, but it was actually much easier than I thought it would have been to, to push you in the wheelbarrow. That was a very grim, uh, surreal and hard moment to be honest with you. That was really, really hard. I don't want anyone to think that that was, that felt good or anything like that. You know, it was really good to be up there. Um, because, you know, I know I bring this up a lot and I know it's kind of a downer, but it is really horrible what happened to these folks. It's really, really horrible. And when you're up there and you see the foundation and you see, you know, just bits of pottery and evidence of a home and a family, it's really, really hard. Um, yeah, and you and had a really, real hard time when, it was when really you got hard. in the wheelbarrow. It was really hard. Um, and, and I mean, that's important. That's important to check in with. It's uh, We love the puzzle of it. I think that's what draws many of us here, but we also are drawn to just wanting to make sure the right people are held accountable. And if they are, they are, but it's, I don't see it. I don't yep. see it. Yep. So um, other than that, we, there was a witness we were looking for that we, we were able to track down yesterday and it kind of ate up um, that ate most of our time. We had, a, we had the fan meetup last night, which was, which went off without a hitch. Um, and Palm Desert, and then uh, tonight, you guys, two days after, when you were hearing this, two days ago, we were heading up tonight to uh, L.A. to do that meetup with uh, Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott and some mystery guests yeah. will be there. Yeah. Um, well, the, the meetup last night was wonderful, and it was so fun to see some folks that whose names I know from the Facebook and from yeah. this YouTube chat, and it was it was lovely. Yep. Uh, I think I saw Kristen Hunters in the YouTube chat right now. She We got to meet her last, last night. night. Yeah. Yep. Met her husband. It was great. Uh, and, uh, with that, and, and I want to find out from Zach what he thought about the episode. Let's not forget that. I'm dying to know. Oh yeah. I was going to say, Zach, just so you know, to be fair, I did ask you how your week was before we talked for 45 minutes. You're, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. <laughs> but what did you think of the episode? No, the fire's back in Bob and I, and I love hearing it. This is vintage Bob. I mean, from anybody that's listening in the past, I mean, this was, we all love a good Bob rant and it was in there over and over again and hearing it really helps helps me know where we're going with this case and and him breaking down the business card whether it's the chain of custody you know i mean we have we have some questions about the chain of custody which i think is huge you know if if leclerc really didn't find that business card and where did it come from and then we have all the fingerprint i you know the the fingerprint problems and the dna problems and it all adds up and and it's interesting to see where we're going to go from here yeah all right. and your thoughts i never asked you i this whole time, I've never asked you what you thought of the episode. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter because I agree with uh, all the listeners. So um, they're, they're, I'll just be agreeing along the way as we talk about some of the, the feedback they had. Okay. Well, let's get into their questions. Okay, great. Um, we'll get to the point where once we get into sort of the DNA uh, on the on the card and, and on the sock uh, and, and other places, I think we'll I'll probably be lumping together a bunch of questions because people had really great perspectives okay. on the natural questions that would come up, up next, which are, which I don't think you got to go into very much, which are... How was this information conveyed to the jury? What was left in? What was left out? Yeah. You know, what did that look, what did it actually look like when it was presented to the jury? Um, and I don't know how deeply you want to go into that. And I know we have a DNA episode that's coming up. So right. some of that stuff uh, might be addressed there. But um, uh, real quick, I, yeah. I, I hate to derail you, but real quick, sure. we're the question because like, we brought it up and somebody there is a little bit going on in the YouTube chat. Sure about, thing, sure thing. Um, Be- Becky in the YouTube chat just said, why wouldn't Ro- Robert have record of the text if he knew that it would help with an alibi? Because he didn't know he needed an alibi. They talked to him the day after and then he never heard from the police until the fall of 2007, a year later. 
And even then, he didn't know when they when they were saying things happened. He didn't know the timeline. So like Robert had Robert had no idea that going to get the chapstick could have been an alibi. Otherwise, he would have done the thing that you know somebody with law enforcement in his family. I'm not saying this makes him guilty, but Javi. You know, was like I talked to her like, at this Let time. Me show Look you right you this. here. I will show you my phone. And yeah. maybe he didn't do that because the text wasn't there. But I, I don't know why you would sit in a room saying you got a text from someone that is a police officer and then not be ready to deliver the goods on that. Yeah. And it was just kind of nonchalant as he was walking through his day. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would have been phenomenal if they were like, well, can you show me your phone records or show me your phone and let me verify sometimes. But they didn't do that. He didn't know he needed an alibi. One didn't know when the alibi needed to be for two. And then it was a year later. When when they finally started looking that, at them as a suspect, when they did like the search warrants and stuff in their house, uh, and he still didn't know, like it, it's it's not like and not just this case, any case, it's not like the police are like, I want to talk to you because I think that at nine forty six p.m. you lit Becky on fire up in the wheelbarrow up at up in the crime scene, and then we know that you checked your voicemail at ten twenty three. We want to know if you had any phone activity in between there. That's just not how it works. They they pretty much keep you in the dark. He had no idea what what he was supposed to be alibying himself from. Right, right. Okay. Well, um, let's start with. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start with with Cindy. And I guess we're wading into this a little early, but I know Leah also um, said something similar. Cindy says, "Holy crap! This episode blew me away. I love that we're getting into the actual evidence against Christian and Robert, or should I say, lack of evidence." Do you know if their lawyers are investigating the DNA from Becky's sock? Did anyone get their DNA tested besides Christian and Robert? Is there any way to have genetic gene- uh, genealogy run on it? Uh, the, yeah, so you guys are going to hear on Sunday an episode with a DNA expert where we discuss a lot of the things. A lot of the things you hear discussed in that episode have been passed on to the attorneys who are working on the habeas. And so, yeah, the, the hope is that there will be some more work done on that DNA, uh, and I guess this is a good place as any to point out that that in the report that I had, I have a whole, I had tons and tons of DNA reports and all the stuff that I sent all to uh, to our experts. Um, but you're going to hear her talk about how frustrated she is that the the DNA on the socks that um, uh, that they only compared to Robert and Christian and nobody else. Um, since then, we have found more documents that shows that they did later. They did compare it to the known profiles they had to answer your question. So they had Javier, Jacob, Ron. Um, I have to go back through and and go through everybody. But the people whose known profiles they had, they did compare it to all of them. And it didn't match any of them either. And this is a very solid profile. It literally says on the report, CODIS ready. And then it was never run through, never run through CODIS. Um, and I know when Andrew and I were talking about that, he said, well, they probably did. And it's just as, as protocol. Um, but as it turns out that that was confirmed by the attorneys that it was never run through CODIS. Um, I don't understand that. Yeah. So it was compared to all of the people that we have talked about, all of the, the teenage group and all that and Ron Friedley, and it didn't match. None of that DNA matched any of them. Uh, but no, it has not been run through CODIS. Yeah. Okay. Um, going, just going into John for a moment. Jill says, has John's weed dealer ever been identified? Considering the money disappeared over the weekend, I would guess it would be opinion resident. So there's kind of two things happening there, whether or not it's about John or the weed dealer. I wanted to make sure I included this, Jill, because having now been up there, for me, it reinforces this idea of familiarity with the area. I mean, I just, yeah. uh, you know, and that's not that that could be any number of people, obviously people we know and people we don't know. But um, boy, it's confusing up there. 
Yeah, yeah. You and get turned around real quick. And just a very, quick, very, very daring thing to do if you're like, mm, I don't, I don't really know this area, but let's do this. It's just, yeah. It's 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 hard not to imagine somebody really knowing the area. But what what are your thoughts on that? I, on that I, and the weed dealer thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's just there's so much that we would have to speculate about to get there. Got you know it. what I mean? So we don't know. Like we've heard stories that he smoked. There was nothing in his system. We don't know how maybe that was affected by the fire. And there wasn't we we don't see we don't see at least an exorbitant amount of money being like disappearing for, you know, like I said, hundred and sixty dollars, two hundred dollars a weekend or whatever is going to something. So yeah, I don't know. And 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 no, I doubt there's any way for us to unless I doubt there's any way for us to figure out like if there was a weed dealer who it was. Right, right. Um, Kristen, I, I this was a really good thought because it ties into the books. And so Kristen, you said you're you're a little behind and so you were catching up. I'm so glad you were behind in catching up because uh, this brings up something that we didn't really talk about with the books and cashing checks. Uh, she says, could it be that John was just cashing his checks and not depositing them? Not that he was making less those last three months. Is there a comparison to what the company had listed by check to what was actually cashed? So I think you did match up. It sounds like you did with the stuff Rutherford, from Rutherford yeah. match that up. But that got us thinking, Kristen, um, and I think you were kind of implying this too, is what if you get a check for $500 from someone who's paying you under the table, but they still have to write you a check. If you don't go to your own bank, if you go to the bank, it's, if they're Wells Fargo and your Bank of America and you want to cash that check at Wells Fargo, will there be a record of that on your side anywhere in your finances right. if you so if we don't know who wrote that check, we'll never know that check existed. Or is there some way that it would show up in John's financial records, even though he didn't deposit it into his account? Yeah, no, I think that if, if he if he took it to the so even forget Bank of America, say somebody at Chase Bank wrote him a check. Yeah. If he took that check to a Chase Bank, the, the drawing institution and cashed it, you know, they can they can check to make sure it clears right then and give him the cash. And yeah, there would be no there would be no record of that. And so but we did match up everything from Rutherford, like every everything, all the work he did for Rutherford, he got the checks and he deposited it. It's been said by multiple people, including Rutherford, that he was also doing other jobs for other people. And those, we don't see any record of that going in. So is it possible he was cashing those checks or working for cash? Uh, that's possible. But we don't know because, you know, that's the nature of working in cash and not having a, a record of it. We have no record and way of knowing that, that's hap that, that that happened. Right. But we also, if that was the case, that would be... They were struggling financially and they were, they were bouncing checks and, you know, in those... So it would be... It would be strange, I think, based on what we see in their other history. If it's like, oh, I do have this extra $5,000 over here, but I'm going to let us keep bouncing our checks and not pay our bills and not deposit that. Unless, and then, of course, that's where the where the, where the um, speculation comes in. It's like, well, maybe there was this thing he was spending all the night, and it could be, but right. we don't know. We don't have evidence of that. Right, right. Um, okay, well, let's talk some more about the card. Uh, we'll start with Sarah. Sarah says, and Sarah, you always have questions like this, and I love it. You're always very good at saying, how typical or atypical are these behaviors from law enforcement or from criminals or from, I, 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 so this is one of Sarah's classic questions, which is how typical slash atypical is it for evidence not to be immediately checked in and recorded? Uh, well, I mean, that I'm sure that depends agency to agency. I will tell you the typical protocol. So like when I was going through this episode, I contacted multiple detectives that I know from multiple agencies around the country to ask them about, you know, when I was researching this episode about how this card was collected and what I got from all of them 
was that that's that should never have happened. Like, there's no department in the world that has a protocol that says, oh, you're out on the crime scene. There's crime scene text there. And a detective should just grab something and not mark it and not label it and not log it in, you know, with the with the other evidence markers and stuff. Um, uh, I, I will say, to, to be fair, that Andrew, who used to work for Riverside, had a little um, again, I don't want to put words in his mouth. So I guess you guys can talk to him on the Facebook page. But, but, he, but he said it's problematic and it shouldn't have been done that way. Um, but he certainly doesn't agree that that it means that it was planted anywhere. The detectives I talked to from other jurisdictions all all basically told me that there's a big problem here. Something 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 wrong happened here. Whether that's he just screwed up or whatever, but they're all like, oh, that's not right. Got it. So sounds like atypical, at least from the research you've done. Yeah, I want to point out to just for, just from the YouTube chat, somebody in the YouTube chat was uh, making the argument about how. Robert and Christian were known to have the same brand of shoes that were in the desert. And as that being evidence, but I just, I'm sorry, but that's the most laughable thing. The idea that they like to wear vans in Southern California in 2006 describes every single person in Southern California in 2006. I've even now I've been noticing adults at the meetup last night. I'm always looking at people's shoes around here. They're extremely popular brand of shoe. What we do know is that they did go and we'll talk about this later they did go get the vans that they owned and compared them and found out that they were not a match. If they're not a match, that's what's difficult for me is like, you know, I think that's important information to take and and, and to consider. Um, I just would hope that the standard for me personally, if this happened to me and I were innocent, I would hope that the standard of proof wouldn't be. They, they were have known to like own vans. That. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree that, you know, that the, the wheelbarrow tracks with vans, like, of course I perk up and go, wait a minute, you know, um, I just I feel the standard of proof should be that they're the exact same shoe, but that's just me kind of putting myself in that position going like, oh, my God, if I have to if I regret that I wore the shoes that everyone wore in Southern California that didn't exactly match, I would you know, that just sound that just breaks my heart to think like, I hope that's not all the risks, you know, and that's kind yeah. of where we're going piece by piece. Um, Sue says, how did the prosecution show that the business card was dropped there when the murders were committed and not sometime before the murders? It wasn't. It wasn't questioned. So am I understanding the question right? Like, like how did the prosecution show? Like, at, even, oh, I think oh, Sue's oh, saying, I even if it is exactly yeah, where yeah. LeClaire found it, even if all of that is true, yeah. and it was 25 yards away without footprints leading to that 25 yards away, right. um, it, the fact that it was there feeling significant and, and you know, feeling significant enough for LeClaire, if you imagine that he did it exactly as he did it in his report, Sue's still saying, like, wasn't there any sort of reasonable doubt that the card could have been there already in that exact location. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of brought up on, on cross. They, they mentioned, um, I believe the, the, the lawyers used the term that it was weathered. They kind of suggested that it was sun stained. Um, but it, I, it, it, they just didn't land. I, they didn't do what we just did, which was to really break down every single element. I don't think that they saw or cared or thought to, to look into the idea that, you know, a witness went on the news and said, I know exactly where that card came from because we found it and gave it to the detectives. Um, yeah. And it's unfortunate because that evidence should, and, and it should be also noted that in the first time they arrested, the first judge wasn't having that card. Like really? it was, was just, just, yeah. Like there was the first one and we're going to get into all this, but the first time they were arrested, they got, the judge had issued bench warrants for the for the prosecutor and Whoa. some of the the DA investigators to answer for the shit that they were doing in this case 
uh, it, it was it was bad, and the Holy judge was shit. just like that business card. Essentially, that business card means nothing. You do not like you don't have enough going on here. They issued uh, they issued bench warrants. They held him in contempt. They wanted the prosecutor to come in and and testify to what was going on, and then the prosecutor just dropped the charges, and that was the whoa. End. I didn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is new info rolling out. I mean, as we get more into the actual case and the the trial itself, I think yeah. There's going to be maybe a lot of moments where we're all kind of like, okay. Everybody's so badly wanted to hear the case against Robert and Christian, how it happened. Just know that you're going to be very angry for the next several weeks as we go through it. And you see how this case was built. Yeah. Lori says, what would be the motive of the detectives to give misinformation about how the business card was obtained and where it was found? Great question, Lori. The motive from from LeClaire? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is what one thing that has come up, obviously, like in the fan meetups and stuff that we're meeting, people we're meeting out here is, is like, how would they know to frame Christian and Robert or whatever? Just to be clear, I don't think that's what happened at all. I think that they blew the crime scene investigation. They left at, you know, it, it, like, as I said, the wheelbarrow is the, is the most egregious thing that I've, it's literally full of evidence. There could be bullet fragments in there. They and, and I know you can't take everything and it's big and it's kind of bulky, but it I would be okay if they process it on the scene. If they're like, let's dust it for fingerprints. Let's swab the whole wheelbarrow for DNA. Let's do everything we can do. Let's sift through. Let's collect everything that's inside of it and take that so that we can then test that. And uh, you know, they took a little fluid sample for accelerants, but that's all they did. If they had done all that and said, okay, now we can leave it there. But that's not what they did. They took the body, the one body that had a physical evidence on it and the one piece of ev- the wheelbarrow itself that was filled full of all of the forensic evidence, the most forensic evidence we could have. And they just left it and just took the handles from it. Um, that's so egregious and it's, and it's not intentional. I think that's, I, I don't think that's misconduct. I think that's incompetence. Uh, and I'm not even saying that, 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 that like Ramirez, the, the crime scene officer, I'm not saying he's incompetent. I'm saying that was an incompetent move the, that should have been taken. That's, uh, you know, that's how I saw it. Honestly, I saw it more as that was Leclerc covering his own ass. They're like something got botched there. It wasn't that necessarily they were trying to use that right then for Robert and Christian. It was more that like, oh shit, this card might be important. And I was, I missed it but I'm going to pretend like I didn't miss it. So I'm covering my own ass. Yeah. And truthfully, it wasn't his job to find it. So I, and so I don't even think it's quite that it was Ramirez's job to find it. Um, so the way that I, the, that I think that this happened was they only collected 15 pieces of evidence. They left the wheelbarrow there, which by the way, there's a whole conversation to be had about that. Then the family gets released and goes up to the crime scene and they left the wheelbarrow that still contains pieces of their loved one in it is awful. My goodness. But they left all that. They only collected certain things. They left the cars. They left all the stuff in the cars, all that stuff. And then now they they start, you know, they start getting into the investigation and they start, you know, they immediately honed in. Becky must be the target. They they talk to Robert and they talk to Javier. They talk to Jacob. They, they, they're, they're talking to these people about about the case or realize they don't have anything. You know, they, they're, 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 they're nobody's nobody's coming out and confessing. There's no obvious witness. There's this case isn't going to be easy to solve. They're going to need evidence and they don't have any. So I th- I think likely. Well, you know, my hypothesis is that that group, just like the individual in the news said, they were rummaging around out there and they found the card. You heard LeClaire heard when he talked to Javier. Oh, there was this pregnancy thing with Becky. So LeClaire's got that on his mind. And then they're like, and hey, we found this on the crime scene. 
Um, and then he's like, oh, this could actually be evidence, but this is not, now it's not, there's no chain of custody. I can't use it for evidence. I don't think he was like, ah, we can get Robert and Christian with this. I don't think that's at all what happened. I don't think that either. I think he's like, shit, this could be evidence. This could be a part of the case. And then I think that they went out and then just made it part of the case. You know, they, they had to do some revisionist history. He did to make it look as though they found it on the scene in a place where they can now, you know, connect it to the crime in case in case that it's that it's evidence um but you should look at you know not for nothing when when we, i was talking about you know I, I i kind of put it as a throwaway comment that when they tested the that card for fingerprints they tested it against robert christian and bo nash has anybody thought since then to wonder why they would test it against bo nash I mean, definitely someone in the follow-up mm-hmm. asked that exact question. I just can't remember who it was. Oh, so when but we... someone absolutely said... When you find that name... Say, you know... Let me just give you an... Ex- let me just give you a, a, a situation, right? A hypothetical situation. Let's say Bo Nash was up at the crime scene with Javier, which we know he was. And he found the card. And he gave it to LeClaire. And then they process the card for fingerprints and find, oh, there's two fingerprints on here. But we know that Bo handed it to LeClaire. So we have to eliminate Bo's fingerprints because we know his could be on there yeah. because we know that he touched it. Shout out to Valeria who says, me, me, me. I think I know that that means you, yeah. Valeria. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. You always have great stuff. Yeah. So that's, you know, and again, this is all just... When I was talking with Andrew about it, and he was, and, and he was, and, there, and I wanted to because he, Andrew's a super good guy, and he was, and he was, he's extremely helpful and open to having conversations, and and, and it's good to have that other person. You know, when I'm saying, well, I think this means this, and he's like, oh, well, I think it could mean this, you know. So we had a lot of that where he's explaining to me why he thinks that maybe these things aren't nefarious, and I'll I'll say to all of you what I said to him is there's a hell of a lot better circumstantial case that that card was not found where LeClaire said he found it, when he said he found it. There's a lot better circumstantial case for that than there ever was that Robert and Christian committed this crime. So if you're willing to take the crazy roundabout circumstantial case and and be convinced that Robert and Christian committed this, then I don't think it's being intellectually honest to look at this and being like, ah, but that can all be explained away. Intellectually honest is a really, really good phrase that we could probably use multiple times every (laughs) follow-up and every... Um, I think that's a great way of putting it. Uh, I want to shout out Laura and Ellen and Kim and other folks. Um, there are co- this kind of that cluster of stuff about um, ha- what came in, what was, you know, how was this communicated to the jury? I'll read Laura's, but were there any challenges by the defense on the business card being admitted as evidence like chain of custody if they tried to argue that based on that news interview, someone other than the police found the card or could have found the card or any objections about the DNA slash fingerprint results based on multiple labs having different findings. So that's also Jeff and Brian and Megan and Gary and Sarah. They're saying, what did the jury see? How did, did they know about all of those other tests? Um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So all that stuff was, was brought up in, in cross-examination. In my opinion, where the lawyers made a big mistake is to not then put up their own experts put up their own expert to explain things. So all they had, all they did was in through cross-examination raise doubt against that. And there's, if you read the, like in the transcripts, which we're going to get to the actual trial and the transcripts of how this shook out coming up, but like you'll hear, like there's even like some smart ass comments from the, like 
like, hmm, like we went from 320,000 to 28 trillion. Um, but I'll tell you this, make sure you listen Sunday because that's a, the, after talking to our DNA expert, I'm very comfortable saying that Christian touched that card. I think that, that, that that's I don't, I don't think that that's actually in question mm. um, whether the fingerprints are his. I, I certainly have my doubts there um, because that that is very if you going from not comparable to a match, different softwares, different things can get there. Uh, but from the conversations I have had with fingerprint experts going from we have data points that specifically rule somebody out and then later saying we have data points that specifically include them is ridiculous. Yeah. So something's going on there. I don't know what that is, but that part of that part is bad. But as far as like the jury, like the state was just good at like trying to explain things away. Like for example, the, the DNA on the sock, you know, the, the, you know, the, the actual DNA that's on the actual victim's body and the things that we know the killer actually touched those DNA profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were explained away. Well, the fire, there was firefighters there that extinguished her. So, you know, they were around and they rustled things up and there was, they were using foam in their in their water lines, and that will distort the DNA. And, and this is not the expert; this is like the prosecutor in closing. Like mm-hmm. these things could all make those results not mean. And will we find out from the DNA expert whether that's accurate? Uh, no, because I didn't even bring that up because I, I know that that's not accurate. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's ridiculous. First of all, they were using class A foam, which is just soap. Okay. Uh, they weren't using class B foam, which you would use for like a gasoline spill, which does actually have animal proteins in it. Um, but animal proteins aren't human proteins. They don't change your DNA and they don't make DNA look like it's human when it's not. They, right. It's very clearly animal DNA. So if something were, were were altered, if the DNA were altered in some way by that kind of material, that's something that a DNA expert would say, clearly this is something's been distorted or something's been wrong. It wouldn't right, no. look like a perfect set of DNA yeah, that belonged to someone else because it had been slightly altered by soap. Yeah, rather than what she's saying, which is your killer's DNA is right here and there's a very good profile of it. And they never right. looked for, to see who it was. Okay. Um, well, d- yeah. Well, t- Carrie, I saw your question about newer DNA results, you know, different ki- types of testing. Certainly, that's something that I think came up for a lot of us, including with the fingerprints, was just the sort of idea of like, well, w- wanting to give the benefit of the doubt to the investigation and, and say, you know, well, we know that things advance. We know MVAC is different and wasn't available for mm-hmm. a long time. So I think just getting that continued clarification about the kinds of tests that were used and the uh, advancements in technology and whether or not those things could have or would have had an effect to where suddenly it is his fingerprint or suddenly it is someone's DNA. You yeah, know. to my knowledge, and I'm going to try to get an expert to come on to talk about the fingerprints, um, but to my knowledge, that's not the case with the fingerprints. With the DNA, um, certainly, the, the, when I was reading those reports and going through it, and as I said repeatedly in the episode, I'm no expert in this. I'm just telling you what my layman brain sees here. And I was like, this is preposterous that it went from this to this. Um, and and you'll, you'll hear on Sunday, uh, the the DNA expert go, no, it's because they did this and this. And this is how they were, you know, they were reading the data with different amplifications and different things. And mm-hmm. and that part is explained away. Okay. It is a little, a little perplexing. The, the volume, which I had mentioned before, the volume of DNA that they got after multiple swabs on that is... It is how did she put it? She's just like it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Janelle says, "Let's go back to the ninhydrin, which is a word I did not know until that mm-hmm. episode." Janelle says, "How with ninhydrin being known to decrease DNA yields, can they then increase the DNA quantity off the business card?" We've been talking about this, especially with touch DNA sometimes being less than twenty cells. Sort of what we're circling around. 
so she's wanting to know how they got more DNA, so much DNA when then Hydran. Um, I don't know that, and, and maybe she has some kind of expertise in this. I don't know that ninhydrin um, degrades, or what was the word she used? Decrease DNA yields. Decrease yields. Um, the, just the, by using those terms, that makes me feel like she knows what she's talking about. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know that ninhydrin decreases yields. It's, but, okay. But so it, it, it maybe it does. Well, I think, yeah. I, I would imagine, I could be totally wrong, Janelle, um, but maybe the idea when in the episode you said that once you've used it, you've got what you've got um and oh as far as the fingerprints maybe that's yeah maybe but that would be me maybe misunderstanding yeah so let me just i guess let me just kind of let me just break down the so and we'll say hopefully it'll catch what she's trying to say so the way it works they get the business card they have it and it's not something that they can really dust they probably could have but they didn't dust it instead they put they put it into like a glass container and then they put this ninhydrin gas in there and the ninhydrin connect attaches to amino proteins and then it causes them to turn darker. So the more there are, the darker it gets. The card itself is going to change colors uh, because it's made from paper and pulp, and there are aminos in the in the pulp. So um, that's going to change colors. And then you're looking for the fingerprints, the oils, and the proteins from your fingerprints to really pop out of there because there'll be an excessive amount of aminos there. So um, that's all the ninhydrin does. I, maybe it does decrease in yields, but I know that it's done regularly. I, I was in a fingerprint um lab where they used an hydrant on fingerprints in front of me showed me how to do it and then swabbed the prints for dna uh for me uh so i don't know that it decreases the yields the big thing for the ninhydrin for me was what it showed about the sun staining on the card mm-hmm. um which you know I'm, I'm trying to find someone much more qualified than me to me that can that can speak to that that, that shouldn't be hard <laughs> e- there's one ahead. right there on the Go zoom ahead. yeah um yeah, but I would I, I would like to have a, a you know a scientist of some kind that can do experiments and actually do like experiments that can be replicated or maybe they already exist out there to show that, look there's as, as much as a lot of people may not like it there's no question to the science of what I said as far as it being the the sun show the the ninhydrin patterns on that card showed that it was in the sun for a long time what I want to do is have is to have some kind of a scientist of some some kind that can do some controlled, ex- valid experiments that can tell us how long that card was in the sun. Right. And so that's something that I'm That'd be really interesting. working on. Yeah, Zach, what did you think about? I'd love to hear your perspective on when Bob gets to the point in the episode where he says, these are all of the things that you should know about the science and why some of that is potentially very problematic in terms of how it was presented to the state. But let's throw all of that away and say Christian touched the business card. What was that moment like for you when you were listening to the episode where you're like, well, don't say that. That might mean, you know what I mean? Like, what was your reaction? I, you know, it's this, this whole point is very disheartening. The idea that they can continually test this card over and over again and, and come up with different ideas of what's on the card, whether it's fingerprints, whether it's the DNA, I, you know, it's, it's upsetting and it's upsetting that they are able to just talk it away. I, I guess is where I'm going with it. It's, it's the fact that, we can just nonchalantly say, yep, it's there now. And we're going to pretend like nothing else is there. It's, it's upsetting. Yeah. But I, I thought, it, yeah, I thought it was interesting just to sort of say like, these are all things that you need to know about the science of the investigation and the tests that were done. But all that being said, if the card has Christian's print on it, does that do what the state says it does? Oh, and I think I misunderstood him, your question. Put him in the scene as a confirmed 100% this has to be a murderer 
kind of scenario just based on where the card was and and if the card was where it was. All right, I think I misunderstood what you're asking. Moment. Well, I was just curious because for me, I had a little tight moment. Like, but I don't want Christian to have touched the card. That's that's important. Mm -hmm. And then just sort of hearing you move on and go, but of but of course that doesn't actually mean anything. But the the thing that's important about it is that even if all those things are true, like you still have to be. You still have to be integritous. I'm not sure that's a word. You, have, you still have to use that integrity to get the results to be true and to be right and to be accurate and to be fair, right. whether or not it matters that he touched it. Is yeah. that kind of what you're Yeah, saying? and I really looked like like my approach to the episode was my approach to the investigation uh, of my, you know, research and investigation of the business card, which is I want to look at it for, you know, in a, in a couple different ways. One, I want to know, well, it started off as two. One, I want to know, did he touch the card? And two, I want to know, is the card relevant to the crime? Right. And then as I started getting into that, I started finding out this, you know, all the problems with the collection. So then it became a three-phase approach, which is, one, where and when was the card found? Yeah. Two, does it have, you know, did Christian touch it? And three, is it relevant to the crime regardless of who touched it? Right. And so that's how that was laid out. And, 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 and obviously, you know, the Reader's Digest version of the episode is, I don't believe it was found where they found it when they said they found it. I do believe Christian touched it, and I don't believe it has anything to do with the crime. Well, there you go. That's Yeah, it. I mean, there's Aunt there's Christian, a very likely chance that he did give it to her at some point, or that Robert gave it to her at some point, and it worked its way into that house. But we have that giant that giant trash pile that everybody's talked about now. It could have been there. could have blown mm-hmm. off of there pretty easily, I think. So I think you're right. I don't think it's a... A huge stretch to say that Christian touched that card, but like you said, does it yeah. do anything to the murder? Does it is it involved in the murder in any way possible? I don't see how it could be. Absolutely. Yeah, and and, I, and I'll and I'll go so far as to say that I believe the science proves he touched it. Right. Yeah. Oh well, there you go. Yeah. And yeah, the, to your point, Kristen, um, and maybe we're not using it for the same um, outcome, but I love what you're saying that if there have been advancements in testing, wouldn't you want to retest just to be sure? Could not agree more because that's how people have also gotten out of prison. That's how the mm-hmm. right people have been caught in unsolved cases. I would say, you know, if there are advancements in DNA testing, I'd love to see um, the DNA on her body tested. Yeah. Uh, so, so we should continue. have an so evidence. That just seems like a fair, like, let's test that. Like, that's fair. There's been advancements. Let's test. The, let's retest those fingerprints. Let's retest the DNA. Let's retest the DNA. On the socks that we don't yeah. know anything about. So there was so much DNA, just to under, so you guys understand this, there was so much DNA on her socks that they were able with just a simple swab get, uh, I believe there was two profiles with the DNA test with a mixture, and then they did the YSTR, which only identifies male profiles. They were able to get three, and I believe two out of the three are like full CODIS ready yeah. Well, you can't use YSTR through DNA, through CODIS. So I think those came from the first round with just the regular DNA testing. Um, full profile. That's a lot of DNA on the sock that's on the victim's foot that's crumpled around the bottom of her foot because of some something happened there, some right. sort of struggle. It's just, yeah. And, and I'm sure. I, yeah, I just, I need it. I guess I just need a, an explanation as to why you wouldn't run it. I just, I just. Was it tested me, against any. It's just me, but I need that explanation. Was it tested against any of the firefighters that were on the scene? No. Nope. I mean, is nope, the, they no, also they didn't touch her. Okay. They never they never touched her. They and and they're wearing bunker gears and and gloves and everything, and they sprayed it. Um. But yeah, I want explanation to why. I'd love to have an explanation as to why they didn't test it. I kind of I kind of know why, and also to you know without feeding feeding into the negativity. 
I would love to know how there's so many people that are just so sure that they're guilty. Like what kind of cognitive dissonance does it take to see that there's male DNA profiles, solid, lots of DNA on the victim's foot. And then how people can look at it and go, but that doesn't matter because Robert and Christian did it. Like that's mind numbing to me. Well, Maybe they just don't like you. Okay, Kara or Kara says, what interviews did LeClaire conduct in the days before? I like this question a lot. In other words, Kara's saying, or Kara, I hate when I don't know, but anyway, uh, says, what interviews did LeClaire conduct in the day or days before he sent the business card to evidence or what other investigation was taking place around that date that might have relevance to, depending on which version of events you believe, him receiving it or deciding to have it tested? I thought that was great because you're thinking yeah. globally. Like, what else is happening in during those moments and in those interviews that would cause you to look at that at that business card and say, hold on, I got to take this seriously. And if you touched on that before, but yeah. I just wanted to give a shout out because I thought that was a great perspective. Yeah. And, and it's a great question. And it, and it would be worth going through and actually pinpointing dates of those things, because like what I looked at it was it was sent to the lab on October 12th. That means Robert's interview, Christian's interview, Javier's two inter- interviews. Um Actually, it was was it October 10th is when the second time when he kept trying to go get Javier to take a polygraph. I believe that was like around October 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Jacob Santiago's interviews, Bo Nash's interviews, Corey Donovan's interviews, all those interviews were conducted before it was sent to the lab. Got it. Uh, Lauren says, did the other lab explain why that why there was? OK, we you know we talked we covered that. Sorry, I, I Lauren, shout out, you had another great question that we've kind of already touched on about the differences in, in the tests and, the, and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, uh, okay, here's Abby's. Abby says, this episode was great. Forget that part. I want you to your ego. Could you grow. repeat that part again? Nope, not going to do it. Abby says, I just need someone to break down the importance of the location of the business card and the wind for me. She says, explain it oh, to okay. me like I'm five. Okay. Um, that's, that's I'm, I'm glad you asked that. It's a great question. So it's... The state's theory is that, and the way they connect Robert and Christian in this case, the state's theory is that, I guess, like, Christian had that card in his pocket or something. And they all go out for this hike. And then when they get way out in the desert, at the end of the hike, there's a disturbance. Something goes wrong, and there's a fight. The place they call the area of disturbance. And Becky is killed right there. And the business card somehow comes out of his pocket or something right there. And then they go back to the house, get the wheelbarrow, come back and get her, bring her back. The The significance is, so they start at the house and they walked 350 yards north to where the, the this happened, to where the, the fight, the whatever happened, however she died, the area of disturbance. And they're saying he drops the card and then they go back to the house to the south and they go back and get her. So there's no human according to leclerc there is zero human activity not a footprint not a scuff in the sand nothing from that point where the murder supposedly happened until 20 yards to the north so as i said 18 meters 60 feet you know if you think of a baseball field from the pitcher's mound to the catcher's to to home plate um the business card is found there so it traveled through space to get somehow from the last place where there was human activity to this location. And the the question is, how could it get there being attached to this crime? And so it, like for those of you that saw like the video I put up, I said, like, is it possible to just throw it like if it was, you know, heat of passion somehow crazy through the card and it ended up there. 
That's impossible. It couldn't have been thrown that that far. So then the only other solution that we have, like how could it have gotten 20 yards to the north would be wind, that the wind maybe blew it over there, that they dropped it right there in place and the wind tumbled it out to the, to the place where it was found. And the significant part of what we found is that from the time before the crime occurred until the next day after, well after the card was collected, there was a steady wind out of the northwest, I mean, blowing from the north to the south. Opposite direction of where it would yeah. have to have blown. So, so if you imagine the kind of the scenario is if you're, imagine you're standing somewhere holding a business card and the wind is blowing in your face and you need to get that card 60 feet into the wind, how do you get it there? Right. And that's, and the point I was making was, it's a, if somebody can figure out a way, I'd love to hear it, but it's impossible. It's it's literally physically impossible without footprints, without without a human walking over there and putting it there. Right. The reason I brought up the wind earlier uh, over the, you know, the, the in the days and weeks before that is because there were days where there were 30 and 40 mile an hour gusts of wind out of the south blowing out into the desert. And that so that is a plausible explanation if it was like back at the house and the wind took it and blew it and it got caught up in a current and blew all the way out. It's still a long way. Right especially for nothing else to be out there, just the card. Right. Um, but that could put it out there. But if that's the case, it is completely irrelevant to the crime because that means it was out there before the crime occurred. I know, but at least that potentially means that Leclerc didn't fabricate something, which I don't want him to. Let me just say for everyone, I don't want to live in the world where the law gets it wrong. I don't want to live. Yeah. I want them to have got the right people. I want that because I'm terrified by the idea of living in a world where this happens. So that's part of why I'm showing up here is I, I don't want to look. I kind of sometimes I'm like, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to look at it, but I can't look away. And that's yeah. your fault. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Yeah. You've you've put the fear of God in me. And now I'm like, if I can help at all to make sure this doesn't happen or isn't happening and just feel safe that it's not great. If it is happening, we got to work so hard together as a group to protect each other and to um, protect ourselves and to, you know, get the right people in office and hold people accountable and all that stuff. Okay. I want to shout out Joel who said, um, Joel, I love that you did the experiment. That makes me so happy. Joel says, how far should one be able to toss a crumpled up business card outside? I did it at home and it fluttered up in the air, landing about two feet in front of me. <laughs> so shout out to you, Joel, for trying. I, nice I had, attempt. I had, I, I didn't, I didn't air the one video cause I did it a few times cause I kept trying to find different ways. And actually, the the video that I actually put up was the furthest I actually got it. The one bef- the, the one before it, the very first one, I was like, again, like watching my watch. I was like, okay, four mile an hour wind this way. Throw it. It literally went behind me. It went this way and went behind me. Yeah. And then I picked it up and I was like, see? And I was getting ready to post it. And I'm like, there's my cell phone number. And everything <laughs> on the card. I'm like, Idiot. Better not Love use it. that take. Love you, buddy. Okay. Carolyn says, I haven't looked myself, but if we look at the photograph taken of where the business card was found in the desert and look uh, at other crime scene photos taken on the Monday after the murders, could we look at the sky, weather, clouds? Because, of course, you pointed out that there uh-huh. are some some landmarks missing um, that would have been nice to have. P- could we prove that the photos of the business card were not taken on the same day because the weather, light, sky, etc. looks different? No, there's, there's two pictures. It says they took four. I've seen two. One of them is in, they're, they're weird, the, the way they're numbered isn't, I mean, there's so many, 
there's more like they're, they're the 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 number the file numbers don't aren't like click up in the right order and there's all kinds of problems with it but he says there's four uh and you got one that's taken from maybe 10 feet away that all you see is just the card and a little bit of ground around it right and then one up close yeah and that's all we have of it like you don't see the sky or background or anything you see dirt and a shrub and just a little bit of stuff around there yeah um, okay, uh, going to the wheelbarrow, uh, you have expressed already, Scott, uh, was asking about what did happen to the wheelbarrow itself, not the handles. So you mentioned that the wheelbarrow was not only not taken, but it was left um, out there. Right. Yeah. So that's fair. That's. It is want to know what, what, what happened to it. That hurts my heart. Yeah, I think just ultimately, you know, since it wasn't collected, what happened? Yeah, to and it? I, I don't know that any, I, I mean, we heard from Chuck, who was there with Tiffany, like all those people saw it out there. It was just there. So I don't know if when they bulldozed the house, if it just went into the pile. Certainly nobody I would think would take it, um, yeah. you know, like take it home or anything. So, yeah, I, I don't know whatever became of it. Uh, Sarah says, if the hike had happened, where would it likely have taken place in relationship to the house, wheelbarrow and card location? And also wants to know when did it last rain before the murder? Oh, I know the answer to that. I knew the answer to that. Um, I believe you said it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's it was, true that I don't think of the exact. Yeah, I don't remember right, right now, now, but it but it, it is it was well before. Uh, so where the hike w- where we found on our our field trip the the point of origin, um, it was it, hopefully you're a spatial person, you can, but it was it was 350 yards almost due north of the house. Right, and there is no path. It's 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 bumpy, water washed out. Right, just going through the pinyon pines and the. Creosote. But we know that she went up there, and there was a conversation about taking an actual. Um, circle, right? But that she would do with John and stuff. Yeah, there's a so path there's up a there. There's a path up there. I did that, but I think that's really important to define. I'm I'm really glad you asked that, Sarah, because the path that we have heard exists, and all of the little small roads and I drove that people it could take and drive and walk and hike is not the same thing as walking out into the into the desert. By the way, I'm from the desert. I would walk forever without a trail. Like it's yeah. doable. I definitely wouldn't do it at night. Right. Um, but I, you know, so the circumstances being what they are, yeah. um, they're just don't, don't mistake the, a path that she was known to hike for where she was found. found. She's found in the middle of nowhere. I think that's just important to, yeah. to keep in and, mind. And also, whatever you feel about the case. Yeah. And, and also like, if you look at like Apple maps or Google maps or whatever, if you zoom in, like in front of, You'll see like the mountain range comes down, then it stops in a desert, and then there's the flat desert up towards the house. If you zoom in, you can see there's a path that runs in front of those mountains, uh, and it connects down to the end of Jeroboa Street and goes up and then runs all the way around, goes to the area that Nick Crum said where they used to all hang out out there in that kind of circle, and then all the way back down to Alpine. And we did hear that she did hike that sometime, but but to hike that, you walk down Alpine to the end of Jeroboa and get on the path and then hike all the way around. Oh my gosh, Jennifer, sorry, I saw your note that someone in your life was falsely accused for something. And I'm very, very, very sorry to hear that. Um, Truly from my heart. Okay. Um, Rebecca says, I know we heard about the guns found in the house as belonging to John, but do we know when he purchased them? If he purchased them recently, I wonder if that could have been a sign that he felt he might be in danger. I thought that was interesting. We haven't really talked about the timing of gun purchases and stuff. I don't know that they've, that they even attempted to figure that out. I I, I know there's nothing I've never seen where they have, they have figured out, but we should mention Yesterday, we were going through just some old interviews and episodes, just kind of as we've first time we've ever got to like sit in a room together and just chat about stuff for hours and hours. I'm sorry to say it felt more like a slumber party than I'd like to admit. Yeah, (laughs) it was like I had my phone on the bed, he was sitting at the table, like, yeah. And we were going through and we were listening back through Bo Nash's first interview, 
and we caught something that we both missed the first mm-hmm. time. And I, don't I think- talked about it with um, Jeanette and Kristen last night at the meetup, too. Oh, did you? And they yeah. were like, oh, my God, he did say that. Yeah. Bo- so when Bo was telling the police in his interview that he he and Javier went to Becky's that night, he he says, yeah, we got there. And John and Vicky were downstairs. And he says, and he said, Vicky was going to L.A. the next morning. Yeah. And I don't know how I never heard that before. And, and definitely the, the, during the interview, that's like, it's so not germane to like what the story is that they're talking about, which yeah, is Bo being there and Becky the and all that yeah. stuff. It's underneath there. It never gets asked about again. But there's another person who said she was his leaving. Understanding and was so that, that was, she was supposed to be gone for yeah, whatever it's worth. As of Friday night that he said, you know, that, that Vicky had told him that night when he said he met them and they talked that Saturday morning she was going to L.A. Which is what you know, yeah. what we know for, we've heard from Tiffany and her coworkers and so so whatever that's worth. But it, it again jumped out to me again. You're looking for the thing that changed. She was m- planning to make that trip that was out of character, according to Tiffany, and yeah. then something happened and the trip didn't happen. Zach, I want you to know I'm acutely aware of us just blathering on and on and on about the stuff we've done. Oh, together. I'm looking it up the my heart every time. I'm, I'm looking up it. the uh, the Google map to look at it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then that's all I have other than uh, I know you have some information you wanted to make sure you end with uh, about the upcoming episode information that you now have since recording. Oh, right. So we're going to yep. touch on that. But I uh, wanted to throw Jennifer's uh, question out there. What's the, po- the podcast holiday schedule? Let's preempt any whining and complaining. Happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. And actually, that's so so the, the stuff about Sunday's episode, I think I've already got worked that in. You did. Okay. Yep. And, and that is the fact that... Um, Again, you're going to hear the experts say that they should have compared this to the known profiles they have, and I have since learned that they did. Um, and, and so that so oh, okay, got it. Yeah, so you're going to hear they should have compared it to Javier and Ron and Jacob and and, and just you know all the people that she mentions in there. They did eventually compare those, and they were ruled out as the as the contributor. So I just wanted you guys to know that she's going to explain. So you know, Maya at the end where I was like in the business card. It says that Christian's excluded as the minor, and I was like so mad about that. And she explains, you know, what that means. It's not as, you know, it doesn't really overrule what happened before. And she explains all that, which is why we bring on the expert. Um, uh, and again, like I said, your your shirts, the shirts are all going to be printed and shipped out on January. She did say she was going to try to schmooze the uh, uh, the manufacturing people and see if she can push our order up a little bit. Um, so, so it'll be a nice surprise. We'll expect yeah. longer and it'll be a surprise. Yeah. Before. But if not, they'll all be shipped out, um, second week of January, our holiday schedule. So, uh, this episode, this Sunday in two days is going to be the last main episode for this year. Um, so because the next Sunday is Christmas day, so we're not going to do that. And we want to make sure that everybody, all of our team, Janet and Zach and Kelly and Shane and everybody can go travel and do whatever they want for the holidays. Um, we will do a, follow-up next week so there will be a follow-up episode on the 23rd that we will record next wednesday on the 21st and then we'll be off for a full week so there won't be a main episode on christmas day and there will not be a follow-up episode that week and then there will that so the next main episode after this sunday will be on new year's day january 1st 2023 can you go can you believe it yeah can you believe it we're not as funny as SNL by a long shot, our friends <laughs> in the YouTube chat. Yeah. Um, and so with that being said, uh, thank you guys. Um, it's, it's so weird that it's, it's complete opposite of normal. Zach. Me and I know. Janet sitting next to each other and Zach all by himself. Well, he's got Hulk Hogan, but. Right. He does have, he does have the, the Hulk with him. 
Yeah. Um, and gosh, I, I know I'm like rambling a little bit because I was like, was there something else? Was there something else that I was supposed to say? Did you get out uh, to Dunn Road? Cool. Uh, oh, <gasps> good Zach, question. Great question. Uh, well, so we started to and we got all the way to the point where there was a big gate with a chain on it that said Bureau of Land Management, no motor vehicles. Um, so we had to stop. So and that right. wasn't even that gate. I think the gate was there, but it was open uh, a few months ago. But now it's like there and chain shut. Like, no, you can't drive down this road anymore. Um, so no, did not get down Dunn Road. Anything else, Zach? That I forgot. <laughs> that's uh, Autumn that's has it. asked a couple of times. Autumn, I'm sorry, I didn't uh, catch it the first time. Uh, whether or not you have any new updates on whether we'll be hearing from Robert or Christian directly. No, I don't have any updates on that right now. Like I said, th- things are a little tricky right now to hear for them because they're right in the middle of prepping their habeas um, filings. You know, they're going to be filing their writs. So, so yeah, I don't know. We talk, we did get to talk to Robert for a couple of minutes just by happenstance yeah. the other day that he did a. We happened to be with his wife when he called and did a video chat, and we got to like say hi to him um, for a couple of, a couple of minutes. Um, but yeah, we, we maybe Robert, we may be able to, to just have Robert just to have a chat. But we I, he, I, he won't be talking about specific Pacifics. You're on the West Coast. Pacifics. That's right. Of I'm, the out, case. I'm out here on the Pacific of the case. Uh-huh. Uh, um, yeah, specifics of the case right now. But uh, we may be able to talk just so you guys. I, I do want you guys to get to know him. But also, I feel like there was something with the phones with the because because I've talked to him on the phone mm. and recorded it, mm-hmm. and everything was crystal clear. And then I listened back to the recording, and it was like it was. Mm. It's almost like they have something. They gibberishify it. Yeah, they they gibberishified it. Yeah. Um, they got gibberishifiers at the uh, California prisons. Yeah. All right, but um, everybody uh, have ha- happy holidays. If you have holidays that you celebrate, I hope they're great for you. If you don't celebrate any holidays, I hope you have a great couple of weeks. I'm saying this as though we're not going to do an episode next week. We'll I was wondering that myself. Yeah, and so. some of you, even though this comes out by the time it comes out on Friday, we will have seen you. But we see those of you who are watching this live mm-hmm. right now. Very excited to see some of you tonight in L.A. Yes. Uh, very good. So, and YouTube people, thank you very much. We will see you guys again. So there will be next week a, a follow-up again, nor- same time, same channel, Wednesday. Uh, and that will be the actual last episode of 2022. Leave this year behind us. And with that, good day, YouTube. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye, guys. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. 
Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I'm done. Oh, dude, you nailed that. I'm done. Hey, everybody. Welcome to YouTube Live. <laughs> it is the YouTube Live chat. It's truth and justice, and we are all jazzed up and ready to talk truth. Uh, that's right. And just it's B and JV coming from uh, Palm Springs, California. Uh, okay, here we go. I'm going to do this for Kelly. Now she'll know. That's where. That's where it starts. <laughs> that's where Bob lost his mind. That's.